Hi, this is Carla Hatler, host of Activation Theory. For our second episode, my friend Manasa Jane joins me to discuss how we recently reconnected over our similar spiritual paths, the shared feeling of not belonging, and how we are moving forward in our daily lives during this time of extreme divisiveness and polarity. Listen and tell me what you want me to explore next. You can email me at Carla at activationtheory.com. Hi, Manasa. Hi, Carla. How are you? I'm good. I'm so happy to be doing this with you today. Um, I wanted to, I thought we could start off uh, the session by just telling everyone how we know each other and how we reconnected. Um, and today, and just a little bit about, you know, what we are going to be talking about today. Just this idea from our reconnecting of how similar many of us are without realizing it. And um, which I think is a really good topic to discuss in today's environment and things that are going on around the world. Um, but let's get started and, and talk about how we know each other. You tell your version and then I'll tell, I'll, <laughs> I'll tell mine. Of course, of course. So my first memory of meeting you was in school. So we met and we were talking about this earlier. I want to say junior high, um, seventh, eighth grade. Um, and I just remember seeing you walk in and you were this gorgeous girl, blonde hair, perfectly put together, just looked like you were ready to just fit right in and take on the world. And there I was feeling like I was the absolute epitome of opposite. I was the person that absolutely felt like I didn't belong there. And you were always just calm, well put together to the point. And um, I feel like our journey through high school, we had multiple touch points, but, but more so through class. Um, we even shared a trip to Europe together through one of our classes. Um, but you were always a person that for some reason just sort of stayed in the back of my mind as someone I wished I had gotten to know more in high school. And then as life would have it, we journeyed off pre-social media and smartphones to different universities. Um, and then as life would have it, we reconnected years later, again, through social media. So it's crazy. So, it's so interesting. Um, I, cause we didn't talk about that specifically before when we were chatting just of your impression of me and you know, I'll, I'll retell what I, what I had mentioned to you. I had a, a, an interesting, like a similarly interesting impression when we met and I was, when we were talking the other day, um, I was telling you that when I, I remember, cause I moved to Texas and we had a class together and I don't remember which class it was, but I remember seeing you and cause we sat next to each other and, you know, in one of those old timey desks that have oh, yeah. like, you know, they don't have those anymore, but, um, and I think it was at the front of the class, if I'm remembering correctly. 
And yeah. I, and I, I, I don't know if I chose to sat, sit in the front of the class because I wanted to, or because that was the only seat left. But, um, I remember sitting next to you and I, we had those same seats throughout, maybe they were assigned seats throughout the year. And I just remember thinking that you looked so beautiful to me and I was so fascinated. You had a, a piercing in your nose and I don't think I had ever seen someone with a piercing in their nose before. And I thought it was so cool. And you had those long, beautiful black hair. And I just was, I just wanted to know more. And I don't know why we never really connected on that level, but it's interesting to hear that we both were feeling similar way about each other and never really explored that. Um, and then fate brought us together on Facebook with this group that I had started, which eventually turned into this podcast idea, um, talking about spirituality and, and I was thought maybe it would start as a book club that didn't really pan out. Um, and then just to reconnect and, and find out that you wrote a book and to read that book. And then, you know, we've really just scratched the surface on these types of conversations with each other. And I just find it, I'm just fascinated. I just want to know more. Well, I tell you, if anything life has taught me, it's to have some patience to understand purpose and connectivity. Um, when I started to see your posts on Facebook, this little voice in my head went off and said, now's the time. And I didn't quite get that. And, and it's happened many times before. And I am, I really have now in my forties begun to realize you just have to have patience and go with mm -hmm. the flow the life has planned for you. And, and the more you open yourself up to the possibility of meeting like-minded souls and, and maybe trying to find a purpose for a greater good beyond yourself, the souls connect. And suddenly people that seemed so different from you are suddenly soulmates in different ways, mm -hmm. um, journey partners, teachers, um, guides, it really is all out there. And I'm, I'm really have experienced that a few times to believe that, you know, our friendship wasn't meant to blossom then because we had a journey to take individually. Right. Um, and once that journey took place, these seemingly parallel lines now connected because there's a purpose, there's a message, there's a, a common goal. Um, and I think we reconnected Carla exactly when we were supposed to. And I think yeah. that's the beauty of it. And here we are. I totally agree. It's so interesting to me because if we would have, I think if we would have connected earlier on, or even while we were in school, I don't, I think I don't, it wouldn't have worked. It wasn't the right time. So yeah. I agree. Um, yeah, it's just so interesting. And then, you know, when we were talking the other day about um, this, these, these spiritual journeys that we have been on to understand how similar that they have been really kind of blew my mind. I mean, I say that things blow my mind all the time, but really <laughs> they don't because they make sense in a way, if that right. makes sense. But, oh, yeah. every, but every time I make a connection like that, it's still exciting. And I just love 
sitting in that feeling of, wow, this is amazing. So let's talk a little bit about our respective spiritual journeys, because one of the reasons that I wanted to really start this podcast was to help people who might be just starting their journey or it could, I mean, really it could be anyone who's just interested in the journey because I, Mm -hmm. I mean, I, my personal feeling is that you're on that journey. You're the rest of your life. It never really ends. Um, it's just a matter of when does it start? And for me, it didn't start until much later in life. I was exposed to, um, religion, Christianity growing up, but never really, never really, never really fully understood it. To be honest, I went through the motions. I went to church with my grandmother. Occasionally I connected with friends that were members of church groups and youth groups and would do activities with them just to really, I think, be a part of a group, uh, and never really understood. I just never really understood it, honestly. And I found myself much later in life going through some difficult times that I had never experienced before, which started me on this path of questioning, what do I really believe? Because I grew up, you know, we would do traditional Christmas or or Christian holidays like Christmas and uh, Easter and, um, and things like that. And And so I always felt like I was a Christian, but I didn't really know what that meant. Um, And so I really just set out to figure out, okay, what is it? Do what? What do I believe? Am I Christian? Am I for one? At one point in time, I thought maybe I was Buddhist. Um, I'm like, what religion can I identify with? And I'm reading about all these different religions, and then I started to realize, why am I trying to put myself in a box? Um, and so I, I quickly, not quickly, it took me a little while, but I, I eventually abandoned the idea that I really needed to find some type of religious group to belong to. Mm -hmm. But, um, but I think what we had in common that kind of put us on a similar path is, um, is going through a difficult time having our faith be tested and just figuring out how to get through it. And, um, and I think being spiritually connected and, and knowing what you believe really had a lot to do with that for me. Now in talking to you and reading your book, which I want to talk about too, um, it, I think we maybe had a different starting place just in terms of how we grew up. Cause it seems like faith was, was a big part of your life. Um, even from a young age. So talk to me a little bit about that and, and your journey. Sure. Um, I definitely had a, a bit of a unique upbringing. Um, I was born in India into a very traditional conservative religious family Um, And as life would have it, at about a year and a half, my dad's career took us to England. So I grew up in Edinburgh. 
Um, so my earliest memories of my life really are in England. They're mm -hmm. of, of going to a Scottish nursery and, and looking at children who looked different than me, spoke in a different way. Um, and just as I began to adapt to the Scottish culture, the very welcoming culture at that, um, life took us back to India. Uh, family circumstances drove my dad back. And here I was at about five, almost six, really starting all over again. I felt like a stranger in my own country. Um, and at that young age, you know, faith is just so esoteric. It's just what mom tells you to do. You know, say your prayers at night, yeah. whatever language they may be. You know, you go for, in our case, to the temple, you know, you did your worship. It didn't really mean so much to me, but as I got older in India, I was very blessed. Um, my family took a very, what I seem to now realize is a bit of a unique take on religion. Hinduism is, is a vast religion, one of the most ancient in the world and can often be construed as being very confusing, even for those who practice it. Um, it is, um, has a lot of rituals, a lot of traditions, and sometimes the true meaning of those things can get lost in translation. And you almost just do it to do it. Kind of like you said, you know, well, we went to church, we went to temple, we did our prayers. But my family, um, God bless them, had a way of making faith just a very organic part of our upbringing. They really raised us to believe that your faith, you know, you know for those who believe in a God, God is, is part of who you are. It's the goodness within you. It's the decisions you make. It's the light you choose to seek in life. So it was very much woven into our daily life. So I never saw it as an intrusion or a blank ritual of sorts. Um, however, that being said, you know, moving at the age of 11 to a whole other continent uh, and moving to a small suburb in North Texas where boy, life was very different in the eighties from what I grew up with. 10,000 miles away, it shook me. Um, and it shook me in more ways than one, really on and off through college um, and even into adulthood because your experience change. And even with such a solid foundation of my faith, I was questioning things. I began to wonder if my faith was really faith or just a convenient point of view. Um, and mm. as I learned more about other faiths and other religions and, and different backgrounds. Uh, the world is just so beautifully diverse. And if you really open your eyes to it, it's amazing how many different points of view come together in one location, you know? Um, I did have to evaluate what my faith meant to me and how do I modify that or adapt it to the life I was now living, which was so different from my family in India or my, or my ancestors. Um, so that was a journey, um, and it was a deeply personal one. And um, I think at the end of the day, what I learned more than anything is if one chooses to seek differences, one will always find them. Hmm. Um, but if one chooses to find commonality and a general sense of goodness and humanity in whatever faith you pursue, you're going to find so much commonality and that begins a journey of peace internally. And when one finds peace internally, all the other mechanics of everyday life starts to make more sense. It's so, so interesting. It's, it's so yeah. interesting. You, you say that um, because, you know, one of the things that really influenced my growing up 
and around the time I met you was the reason that we moved to, te- to Texas is because my mom got remarried and, um, to a man who, um, had left the air force to become a commercial airline pilot. And so every family vacation that we would take together, we would go to another country and usually we would go somewhere where there was an air force base where my stepdad had friends that, um, that we would visit and we would get more of a local experience of Mm -hmm. whatever town we were in. Um, which is also why I was interested in that trip that we went on together, um, in high school, because once I started to travel and have those experiences, I started to realize how similar people are in these other countries and cultures. And it, there was just something comforting about that to me. And so much so that I decided to study international business in college with the hopes that I would travel the world. Now, as life has, as as life happens, you know, your plans don't always turn out the way you expect. Um, And while I did travel some for work um, in my career, it has, it was never what I really envisioned it would be, but um, that that's another topic. (laughs) That's another episode maybe, but, um, but, but I love what you're saying about the focusing on what people have in common because, oh my gosh, like that is, that just hits me. Mm -hmm. Especially in the current times. Um, it's very hard not to turn on the news or look at social media or even have a conversation with a stranger in a grocery store and recognize we are in a um, period of reckoning. Um, there's a lot of polarization. There is a lot of depth of emotion around a myriad of topics. Um, all points are valid because it's, it's each individual's truth. Um, but again, that is when we have to step back and say, agreed, there may be a million different points of view on a myriad of topics, but do we continue to choose to find reasons to polarize or do we try to find a common ground to civilly you know agree to disagree and find a path forward and that sounds very idealistic and simple enough and, and I don't mean it to be it's not it's actually a very difficult journey for anybody to take uh, definitely individually and certainly collectively as a society but I think it's a necessary one in order for any true measure of progress to take place in humanity I totally agree. Um, and it's so interesting because I, there, there's another friend that, um, I talk to about this a lot, this idea of conversations in the middle, and that's where the real magic is having conversations about, you know, because I feel like everything now is so polarized. I mean, the viewpoints that are expressed politically specifically are just so far apart and, and it's hard to bring up an idea that might be a compromise or, um, or to say something that's out of line with a narrative of one particular side. It's just, 
it's such an, it's so interesting. And so I have really tried to stay, um, detached from really engaging in that. It just doesn't feel good. And it's just not who I want to be. And so one of the things that really interested me in your book, you talk about this idea of compassionate disconnection, which I want to talk about a little bit because for a, for a long time, you know, this past year, I've been thinking a lot about, oh my gosh, am I, is something wrong with me? Am I being apathetic? Am I, do I just not care? Like, do I have, why am I not being triggered? Like everyone else that I know, what I really have been thinking is something wrong with me. (laughs) So, and I, even, even recently I've been thinking this, just the way some of my friends have been reacting to certain things. Um, and yeah, I've really been trying to figure that out. Let's talk about that a little bit. This idea of compassionate disconnection. I really want to hear what you think about this idea of being detached from, from your ego. And of course it's, it really sits at the root of my faith. Um, the concept of, of compassionate disconnection has many different euphemisms and terms in many different languages in my faith, but certainly it's something I was forced to explore for the very reason you just brought out. Um, you know, we all have opinions and we stand by them firmly. And sometimes you can get into, situations where it either comes to a head and it's neither constructive um, or healing, um, the opposite, or you find yourself withdrawing into a shell because it just feels like a no-win situation. Well, somewhere in between is this concept of compassionate disconnection. You know, I defined it in my book as a notion that one could navigate through life with all the accolades and failures, with all the joys and despairs, and to do so without any true attachment to the outcomes. And that doesn't mean not caring. That doesn't mean not feeling for a particular position, whether it be political or social or religious or what have you. It's one's ability to take a step back and as simple as it sounds, look at the bigger picture. Um, When we get into a stance, oftentimes our stance and our convictions can be mired with a tremendous amount of ego and and sort of a blind conviction of it is my way it has to be so and this is how the outcome must be in order for a particular event to be justified and what having this level of compassionate disconnection allows you to do is to strip away that ego and to truly discern all of these points of view and to say, perhaps there is a better outcome, a different outcome, one that I might not have envisioned. And it begins the process of calmly looking to see how you could be part of a solution instead of part of the drama. Um, it allows you to trust in yourself and the process of the things you do for a greater good without being so married to an outcome. You know, sometimes I explain it in simple terms to my kids when it comes to schoolwork. My older son is in high school and and he starts off with a passionate goal of mom, I have to have a hundred on my geometry test. And if it's not a hundred, I failed. Okay, great. 
Now, if you take a step back and you look at it and say, well, I've done all that I could. I've, I've put in the work. I've done my due diligence. I've trust in the process of my studying. And I'm going to go in there and just focus on that and maybe not be married to the grade coming out at the end. If the grade is a 94, if the grade is a 93, you will have a perspective to appreciate how far it has come. Maybe it's not 100, but maybe that 93 is a starting point to go up. I know it's a very simplistic way to explain it, but we often forget that there is a your truth and my truth and perhaps a universal truth to a situation. And until we can calmly remove the ego and observe all sides of it, I don't feel that often the right solutions come through. And that's really, it, it could be, this topic could be a podcast of its own, but that's really the very beginning premise of, of where this concept comes from. Let me ask you a question. Mm -hmm. Do you think that this idea of being attached to a certain outcome mm -hmm. might also have something to do with the innate human desire to feel like you belong? Oh, entirely so. Entirely so. It comes from a, a, a deep-seated desire to be connected to have uh, folks of a similar faith uh, background um, be one with you. And it also comes from just a fear of standing out. Um, the idea that one might stand alone in a position equates to being lonely. There's mm. a difference between being alone and not being afraid of being alone in a journey and being terrified of being lonely on a journey. Those are two very distinct emotions. One carries uh, confidence and self-assurance and the peace and the trust to move forward. The other one comes from a, a insecurity and fear and can cause you to jump on a bandwagon, perhaps you wouldn't in other circumstances. So I do, I do, Carla, firmly believe that we do have a feeling of needing to belong or a fear of not belonging. And that's feels, all part of our ego, right? Yeah, I think sometimes it feels like so safe to, to feel like you belong to something. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I just look back at, at, you know, growing up and we talked about this a little, a little bit, my whole entire life, I, I always felt different. I never had a ton of friends. I always had one or two really close friends. Um, and I never felt this desire to in general, join groups. So, um, I mean, I'll even tell the story of this is, I have many examples of this, but one example is when I was younger and I really wanted to join the Girl Scouts and my mom took me to one meeting and I came home and I said, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to start my own club. And I don't even remember the specifics around why I felt that way. But I think if I, if I look back at different situations where I've done something similar, it was because I didn't like the way what was happening or the way it was being done. And so I opted out 
and just decided to create what I wanted instead. And I'd never really understood what that was or tried to label it. I just was living my life. And Mm -hmm. it's only been, you know, as I've gotten older, I've looked back and noticed that there's this pattern. However, I will tell you that recently I have felt very alone because I'm not joining a particular group or viewpoint that is shared by people that are close to me. And I, that has kind of shaken me a little because I've never felt that before. Um, which I think is why I was questioning, you know, is there something wrong with me? Am I, am I being apathetic? Because I felt like it wasn't safe to really express how I felt about certain things because I felt alone in that viewpoint. And, Mm -hmm. and if I expressed it, it it would be very triggering and I would be attacked. So Mm -hmm. I have just kept that to myself, but I wonder now, are there more people out there like that who are not saying anything and they're just keeping it to themselves for the Mm -hmm. same reasons? And when will we get to the point where that feels safe again? I think it's a, it's a journey. Um, I can relate to what you've said a million times over. I, I too have journeyed on three continents and in a world where I've always felt like I'm not quite a hundred percent part of the group. Um, and I've come to a point in my life where I realized, well, perhaps that's the whole point. You know, Mm -hmm. I think our soul's journey in life is not so much to belong as it is to to become the best version of ourselves. And if, in fact, every soul is unique, then even if we stand in a group, we are together alone journeying. Um, And that's okay. I think um, the voice that needs to be heard will arise when the time comes. And there's an old English idiom that says speech is silver silence is golden Uh, Hmm. there is a purpose for silence sometimes and in that silence you hear your inner voices you have a perspective and you give yourself the breathing room to find out and ask yourself key questions you know how do I really feel about the situation how might I contribute to the problem I'm facing the world is facing or better yet How might I become part of the solution? But until and unless we take the time to be silent and to ask those questions of ourselves individually and eventually collectively, um, where do we go from there? All we are left with are um, polarized conversations, uh, jumping on bandwagons, um, really not taking that much needed silence to ask ourselves, how do I feel about a situation and how might I help? And what have I done? You know, where is my accountability in it? Um, and I think it's okay not to belong because I don't think that's the purpose of our life. We, we do all belong by virtue of the fact we're all part of the, like my book says, universal business. We're in the business of humanity. So we do belong in the greater picture. But beyond that, 
it's up to each and every one of us to find what that true version of ourselves is. And in a positive way, I do think that is a bit of a solitary journey. And um, I've just learned to appreciate that. I've just learned to, you know, and this, you know, we could talk about this too, what women don't often do, pat myself on the back for it and say, you know what, Mona's done a good job. You've taken a minute to press pause when it would have been easier to, you know, join in. And, and that is a journey. And, and I think you're exactly where you're supposed to be. And in the piece of, of standing out sometimes is a good thing. I don't think yeah. I would have written my book otherwise. Yeah. I think sometimes this, this desire to, you, you said something about, you know, what can, what can I do? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sometimes that feels really overwhelming to me because there are so many problems in the world. Right. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I have been doing is really just focusing on what kind of impact can I make in my community or, um, in the lives of people that I know, uh, I have employees, you know, can I help my employees, Mm-hmm. whatever those little things might be, um, and not put so much pressure on myself to have whatever impact I might make be super big, because I have come to realize that the little contributions that you make within your community and the people that surround you are the ones that really make a difference. And, um, and that's really one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast, which I was mentioning earlier is just trying to connect with other people who might have questions. And I never claim to have any of the answers. I can't tell you with any certainty that all the things that I believe are true, but what I can tell you is the experiences that I've had and what has helped me. And Mm -hmm. so you know, that's, I've just been having a lot of those conversations with different people in my life. And what's so mind blowing is many of these people are people that I actually am very close to that. I have either had close, really close relationships in the past, have, um, worked with them before, or thought we knew each other in some way, shape or form more than just a surface relationship. Mm -hmm. And I'm finding out that there are more people that think about these things and have these questions themselves, but don't really talk about it. And so that's really kind of my hope is by having these kinds of conversations and making them um, accessible to others that, you know, it might open up some of these conversations. Oh, certainly. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head, you know, I don't think any person could could sit on their perch and say they have it all. They have the answer. They have the solution. I think the most you can do is live your daily life with a sense of honesty and integrity. You know, I, I teach my boys um, a very simple thing. You know, I said, the mark of your character is who you choose to be when no one is looking. You know, and, and I explain that to them over and over again, 
You know, I said, it isn't about what others think of you as hard as that can be sometimes. And it isn't about anything other than who you choose to be every day when you wake up in the morning. You know, what you think about, how your heart hurts for others or doesn't. Um, it begins with your thought. And then it, that thought becomes your actions. And then those actions may result in, in great outcomes or not. Because sometimes with the best of intentions, we fail a whole lot. There's a lot of failure. Um, but it begins with an individual thought and a decision to be a better person each day of your life. And, and I've told my boys this. I said, you know, when you look back on your life, ask yourself, have I tried every day to be the best version of me? And if you can say yes, then you've done good by yourself and you've done good by your fellow man. Because that's perhaps the most we can ask of ourselves. It's a complicated world. Um, and, you know, as I journeyed through writing this book, I laugh when people say, hey, what's your book about? I sort of jokingly say, well, it's about all the things I screwed up, things I don't understand, all my mistakes, all wrapped into one book. Because I want my boys to have something that they could go to if I'm not around and say, hey, mom struggled with this. Um, she didn't really give us an exact answer, but she kind of led us to where she left off. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's all of us. We're all in that journey. And I agree. If, if this podcast could reach one person and make him or her feel a moment of, Hey, I'm in that same boat and it's going to be okay. Then I think we've done our job, you know, and that's, that's sort of how we take things in life. One, one step at a time. So tell me, so let's, cause we've mentioned the book a few times, but um, I think let's tell everyone the name of your book and how to find it. And then I also would love to hear more about what prompted you to write the book other than leaving something behind for your kids. Did, did some, what event in your life triggered, like, I'm going to write a book and publish it myself? Oh, gosh, sure. It's an interesting journey. So the name of my book is called Universal Business. Um, you can find it either through Balboa Press. You could Google it um, by Monica Jane. Um, that's when it pops up, seemingly. It was never my intention to write a book, oddly enough. Um, I had a very fast-paced consulting and auditing career. I traveled a lot. Um, I was on a fast track to partnership. And a big part of my life was the daily hustle. You and I have talked about this. We both are business women, literally graduated with business degrees and we lived in the world of business and there was no time to press pause. The idea of success was defined by how fast you could go and how much you could do. And writing has always been my solace. I actually have books upon books of poetry I've written ever since I was in middle school, junior high, high school. And they're tucked away. That's how I, I poured my emotions into whatever was going on in my life, was my poetry. Um, and then lo and behold, um, you know, I always had my, what I called my third limb, which was my laptop everywhere I went. And I would find myself just jotting down thoughts on a Word document, anecdotes, what later turned out to be vignettes on different topics um, or an experience or a moment. And I would write it and feel this deep sense of catharsis from writing it. And I would just close my laptop and move on. Um, fast forward to a few years later, I was in the 
path for partnership and I was assigned an executive coach who to this day is still an amazing mentor to me. And she asked me, aside from all the typical questions to kind of determine my readiness for partnership was, what do you do that brings you joy and release? And no one had ever asked me that before. And I said, well, it wasn't work. Um, and I said, well, <laughs> I, I kind of write. And she goes, you do? I said, yeah. You know, and she goes, what do you write? I said, I don't know, stuff. And I was very gun shy about it because not one human being on this earth had ever read my writings. And she said, hey, shoot me over something. And I just, oh, I have never been more nervous in my life to be judged for something. And, and she wasn't even going to judge me for it. It's just how I felt. I did. She called me back. We weren't scheduled to meet for another week. She called me back the very next day and yelled at me, absolutely yelled at me and said, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean? She goes, why aren't you doing more of this? And I said, what of what? She goes, writing. I said, oh, those are just ramblings, thoughts. She said, no, you, you need to do this more. And she said, frankly, I don't think you're meant to be a partner. And I about fell out of my chair. And I said, excuse me, I'm really good at what I do. She said, oh, don't get me wrong, you are. But I don't think that's your life's calling. So that was a bit of a bump of the head. And I continued, her voice never left me. And I just continued to write, had no idea how to turn this into a book or anything of the kind. Um, years later, years later, um, I just kept hearing this voice. I kept getting encouragement through different people. I started exploring publishing houses that would cater to this type of a topic. And so, yeah, I had gotten to the point where I had about 10 or so of these vignettes and I was planning on printing them out, sticking them in a binder and handing it to my sons and say, here you go. You know, this is mom's legacy to you, some, some wisdom um, on some paper. And um, I never have lost that. I mean, I feel like that is really the reason why I did this. Um, what else could I give them? You know, their journey is their own their life experiences, you know, we, we, you know, as a family do what we can to support them. But I felt like the wisdom, the knowledge, the mistakes, the learnings, all of it that um, comes through uh, was so important for me to capture for them, uh, wherever they might be, just a little book that they could keep with them from mom to look at. Um, and once I did get published, I didn't really, um, expect the book to be a bestseller. That was never my intention. It wasn't a way to make money. Um, I struggled with a duality in my life. I struggled with the concept of me being one human being in this vast universe in my journey um, and me being a businesswoman in an extremely fast paced world with a different set of expectations. And that's why I landed on the title Universal Business. Because at the end of the day, I realized they're not mutually exclusive. And how I choose to live my life as an individual um, and the humanity that I want to carry forward with me um, is not exclusive of the business world, nor should it be. So I divide my book into sort of two sections, kind of the personal business and the collective business. And the personal, um, all the vignettes are really just directed towards my life as a person, as a woman, as an Asian woman, as an Indian woman, you know, um, as a mom. Um, all my flubs and all my learnings. And then I carry it forward into the business world. 
something that I am to this day a part of, much like you, I help run a company. Um, and so, you know, you and I both are 20 plus years into the business world. Um, the idea of having leadership um, and a corporate governance and a structure that includes a more well-evolved leader that has a sense of humanity cannot mm. be devoid of the bottom line and the profit margin. They, they yeah. should be able to exist together. And so I start exploring that towards the end of it. Ergo, universal business, you know, kind of a play on words. But that's really the evolution um, of how I landed on this book. And it's, um, it's been just a labor of love and, and self-discovery along the way. Well, I really enjoyed reading it. There were so many um, stories in it that I really related to in regards to business specifically, just, you know, being really late to a meeting or, or a call with a client and having just your own, these narratives that you create in your mind about how that's going to go or how your day is going to go. And then there's sometimes these moments of divine intervention that, you know, remind you that everything's okay. And, um, and so I, I have just enjoyed reading it and, and just reconnecting with you and, and realizing, wow, like it, how interesting, like we grew up so differently and, you know, went down very different paths professionally, but yet we have all these things in common. Um, and I remember us talking also when we were talking on the phone last week about that feeling of not belonging and, mm -hmm. and how we were surprised to hear, Oh, I, wow. I didn't know you felt like that too. Um, and I don't know, there's just, I think there are more things that, that, bring us together if we would just discuss them. Yes. Couldn't agree more. Um, and to be able to discuss it with an open heart and an open mind. Um, and I think that's the key. You know, there are a lot of discussions being had in the world today, but perhaps not with that perspective. You know, it's, it's, it's the idea of walking into a room with your armor on and ready to fight. Yeah. As opposed yeah. to extending the olive branch and sitting down and knowing that you are going to agree to disagree and that you don't have to walk away being on the same page, but perhaps you discuss things and find some commonality and, and be okay with what's not, you know? Yeah. I mean, and I, that's, that does so apply to business too, because how many, I've been in situations so many times where I have this preconceived notion of how an encounter will go um, mm -hmm. and approach a conversation either with anticipation of that or mm -hmm. with some kind of fear or, um, or, or feeling about what the outcome is going to be. Mm -hmm. avoiding an undesirable outcome. And instead, if we would just approach things with humanity, mm -hmm. then things tend to work out so much better. And, really do. but, but I mean, it does really take two for that because there are times where I've approached something with humanity and the other person is just not ready for that yet. <laughs> That's okay too. Yeah. But, um, 
but yeah, it is, it is an interesting yeah. journey, this life that we live. It surely is. And, and I, that's one of the things I talk about, you know, when I was sort of finishing out on this book, I'm going to kind of quote you what I wrote, because boy, I'd be lying if I told you I remembered, but I said in here, you know, the challenge for each business professional is to look inward and probe whether the motivations that govern those choices and actions and ultimate results are those of material and self-serving goals, or whether in fact an individual leading an organization truly views the company, the people, and the community within which it stands as an extension of a universal family. You know, it, it sounds ideal, but I think we do need to get there. And I think we can. And I think we are seeing examples of that where within the community, businesses are taking a stance to be part of a greater good. Um, and yes, you can still be profitable. And yes, you can still govern your company um, in a way that suits you. But one should also look at how that connects us to the universe and to the community and the people we, we are a part of. And that's, that's gonna be the key for us to really not feel so alone. You don't have to agree on everything to be connected, I guess shortly put. Right, that's true. That is true. Um, I really re also liked that um, we we're talking. Can you tell me, remind me this Hindu fable you were telling me oh, about the gosh, ocean? Yes. I want to. I want you to tell that story and then. Um, oh yeah. The allegory of the cave, because I, I felt I feel like those were just so good to hear and be reminded of, or the, the Hindu fable was, was something I hadn't heard sure. before. It's, and, um, I'll give you a quick paraphrase of it. it. The context of it would take a while in itself, but essentially there is a story that says there was a time on earth when both the angels and the fallen angels, if you will, um, were at battle and at war for claiming um, eternal light with God. And they each felt that they deserved this nectar, so to speak. So, you know, you've got to have to take the story as kind of a metaphor. Um, and God says, fine, let us churn the divine oceans of the earth and from it will emerge the nectar. So the angels took him very literally. And if you can imagine long lines of people having a rope and trying to churn the ocean for this nectar to emerge that they all felt entitled to. And as they churn, out of the ocean emerge actually first and foremost are poisonous fumes that engulfs the angels. Um, and God descends and clears that and says, this is the poison of humanity. You must get past it. So as they churn different objects, whether they be materialistic pleasures or gold or jewelry emerges. And as they continue, a few succumb to those temptations and grab those prizes and say, well, this is great for us. Perhaps we don't need the nectar. Those that continue to strive on ultimately see this divine nectar of immortality emerge from the oceans of humanity. And ultimately those that are granted that nectar are those that have remained true and pure, if you will. So this fable certainly is, is thousands of years old. Um, and if one were to read it literally as a children's story, you could kind of chuckle about it. But as you and I talked about it, I brought it up in the context of 
kind of the world we live in. When we have strife and we have sides that are conflicting and things are churning, if you will, um, when we feel like we're seeing political unrest, um, you know, issues in the healthcare system, whatever, there's a whole host of things that, that we are all grasping with right now as a society. What first does emerge is what that proverbial poison is. You got to get all that ugliness out in order to be able to deal with it. And then if you persevere and you strive, you eventually get to that solution and perhaps a peace. And that's, you know, that fable could be interpreted in many different ways and perhaps has been over the years. But for me, that was always my takeaway is, you know, when you start attempting to do something, you know, you don't always, the first result is not always the good one. But if you continue down the path, good does emerge and it's a greater good. And that's what you got to wait for. And that's what you got to fight for. Yeah. I love that. Oh my gosh. Oh, we need that. I just want to know how long is it going to take <laughs> to get through the poison? <laughs> can we, can we fast forward it? I know, right? Um, if only I had a crystal ball. Um, alas, I don't, but I, I we have faith. We have faith that that will come because history has proven that civilizations have risen and fallen, but through it all, the human story is the same, is that that goodness does prevail. And I think that is the innate connectivity of humanity is that we do underneath it all want what's good for all. We just don't know how to get there. Yeah. When we have very strong of opinions course, on how to course. get there sometimes. Um, but I, yeah, I, I love to joke that if everyone could do this one thing, all of our problems would be solved. But it's it's such a simple thing, but so difficult at the mm -hmm. same time, which is following the oh, golden yeah. rule. And um, and it, it was interest. It's interesting to look at different religions and see that that is an organizing principle for so many of them. Mm -hmm. um, and I wonder if I just want, I just wonder if we will get to that place as a collective. Um, it just doesn't feel like that right now. It just doesn't feel like that. It just feels like so many people are not thinking about how is treating other people the same way they would want to be treated. It just mm -hmm. doesn't it just does not feel like that right now. And that is, gosh, that's really hard to come to terms with for me. It sometimes. is. It is. And, and I would be lying to you if I didn't see that on what seems like an almost daily basis. Um, but, you know, my paternal grandmother used to say, you've got to crawl before you can walk. You've got to walk before you run. And once you run, Monica, you can soar. So I always used to laugh when she used to say that because I would say, Grandma, I'm not a bird. I'm never going to soar. You know, I was very literal. I was five. But I think that's where we are. We're, we're crawling right now. And that's okay because from there will come the walking. And it takes one person. It takes one person to step up and treat someone with kindness. And I, I have to live my life believing that that one connection does make a difference because that's all I can control, right? If I look at the collective world at large, it's very disheartening at the moment. Yeah, it To really understand is. how do we get past this mountain of 
issues that humanity faces. But if I go back to what I get to choose when I wake up in the morning, how I choose to be towards the mailman, towards my employees, towards my husband, towards my children, and they get to choose how they will be um, and follow that golden rule, right? Um, then maybe that makes a difference. And that's all I can do. And maybe that's not a whole lot, but truth be told, I think that's all I can handle right now. Yeah. Yeah. Now, do you have any suggestions for someone who might be struggling with what's going on or maybe just starting their own spiritual journey? Um, like books or other resources that you have found helpful that you think someone else might enjoy? Um, Someone in my life that who I just count as one of my so many angels that have come to me is a gentleman called Peter Mount Shasta. He is named right after Mount Shasta, the beautiful mountain. Peter is an amazing, amazing light in this world. And he has written several, several books. The first of which is called Adventures of a Western Mystic. Um, And um, one of his other books that I absolutely loved are called I Am Affirmations. Um, So the Adventures of a Western Mystic is literally his life story, Um, his experiences growing up in a wealthy community in the Northeast um, to his his sort of search in life, um, St. Germain, his master who speaks to him, the angels who've called on him, his journeys around the world. And it's in just simple English and it's so relatable. And, um, and I've had the greatest blessing of meeting him. Um, and he's just such a humble guy and he's so funny. Well, how so did that happen? Earth. So how did you meet him? <laughs> Well, again, I don't believe in coincidences. Um, I, I stumbled upon the book from my mom, actually. She's a very avid reader. I come from a long line of very avid readers and, and reading has been our passion, the written word. I guess it shouldn't be so surprising, I ended up writing. Um, and she handed me the book. And lo and behold, you know, I was talking to my cousins in California and I thought I was being so smart and saying, hey, I read this amazing book. You guys should read it. And my cousin chuckled and said, oh, well, hey, you want to come up here in a few months? Peter's actually coming to my house. Oh, my (laughs) God, what? Um, She goes, oh, yeah. You know, she told me her story of how she connected with him way before I ever even read the book. Um, And I met him. And, um, you know, one would think that someone who is so much more enlightened than me, good Lord, I feel like I'm 100 stages behind him, would just have an air about him small backpack, jeans and a t-shirt, chuckled, sat in my cousin's dining room, ate the food we served him, um, just talked to us like we were equals. And, and I felt so small compared to him, but he's just so generous of heart and so kind. And one of the greatest things he taught me was the affirmations of I am. So even if you're not you know, curious to read his book about his life's journey, pick up the small book. It's called I am in quotation affirmations. And it is just that, these little affirmations you tell yourself that help you get through your day, help you kind of put a perspective on things. Um, well, that's a good one. That would probably be a good book for a lot of people right now. It is. It is. It's very simple. You, you literally could Google I Am Affirmations by Peter Mount Shasta. It's available on quite a few online outlets. Um, 
I would that that one has made a big difference for me. Um, and you know, just honestly, for me, it's been um, taking five minutes a day um, at the end of the day to press pause. And and you know, it sounds so easy, but boy, when you're going, you're a working mom, you got kids, you got things going on. That five minutes is pretty critical. Mm -hmm. um, and just um, taking a second to kind of get your handle around your day yeah. and find yeah. one thing that bothered you and one thing that you're grateful for. Because the reality of it is things do bother us. And to not acknowledge it makes it worse. Um, so when I think about the one big thing that bothered me in a day, I feel like I could handle it. And okay. a lot of that came to me from Peter's books, just reading it and understanding that perhaps life is really not um, good or bad, but a series of lessons. And ask yourself, what was I meant to learn from that experience? And yeah, when you open it. yourself up to that question, you take the emotion out of it as much and, and you begin to start to search what you're meant to learn and you yeah, break that's, habits. That's really good because I was for a while just thinking about the things I was grateful for. I wasn't really spending any time on the things that came up that bothered me. So I really like that recommendation. Yeah, um, yeah. It's also interesting because I've never heard of Peter Mount Shasta and I have been, um, I've been reading a lot of books um, and they, they generally tend to come to me um, through Lucas usually recommends Lucas is the, mm -hmm. um, my friend that I did the first episode with mm -hmm. and, um, uh, I've had other people recommend books to me too. And, and so, and my grandmother, my grandmother has sent me several mm. spiritual books that I didn't even know. Cause again, we never discussed this topic yes. until recently. And I'm so fortunate that she's still, um, living and, and we get to have these discussions, um, my dad also has been recommending books, which again, we never had discussions like this before. Mm -hmm. So this has all been kind of recently. And mm -hmm. what I've noticed is like, for example, I think my dad sent me a particular book and my grandma sent me the same book mm -hmm. and without knowing that they both sent the same book. And that oh, book sat on my shelf for like, I don't know, one year, two years, maybe. Mm -hmm. And I, and I never cracked it just never, never did. Wasn't really that interested. Occasionally they would ask, Hey, have you read this book? I mm -hmm. feel a little bit guilty because I hadn't read it yet. And then when I finally read it, I realized, oh my gosh, if I would have read this when they sent this to me, <laughs> it would have not, it would not have made any sense. Exactly. So I really, I really believe that things show up in your life at the right time. And not to force anything. So don't force yourself to read a book because someone recommended it. If you don't feel like reading the book, like don't read it. Like if you want to read it at some point, fine, save it till you, till the moment strikes. But, mm -hmm. um, but I am really interested in um, learning more about this author and reading these books myself um, the topic, this, these topics are really interesting to me. And I like oh, the yeah. idea of having this simple book, these I am affirmations that, um, just to kind of refer back to, Absolutely. I really like that. Um, the, one of the books that helped me a lot was, um, with this idea of not belonging, this feeling of not belonging. 
and just kind of helping me process my thinking around that a little was um, Brene Brown's uh, Braving the Wilderness. Oh, yes. That, that book really resonated with me. And I read it, you know, when a long time ago, and I just recently started rereading it. And it seems so relevant for what's going on right now. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I bought the book, and then I also bought the audio book. I really like audiobooks when the author reads because you can, it's just, I don't know, it gives something different to the, to the book. Um, and she reads this herself. So I would recommend that to anyone that wants to listen to an audiobook. And then um, the other book that kind of really kickstarted my journey was mm-hmm. by Wayne Dyer. Um, there's mm-hmm. a spiritual solution to every problem. And yes. um, Lucas mm-hmm. had recommended this book to me and it sat on my shelf for months and months and months. And I didn't want to read it because I thought it was going to be religious. Mm-hmm. I didn't, because I don't know why I thought it was going to be religious. Lucas has never recommended a, anything religious to me. So I don't know why I thought that, but I just avoided I avoided it because I, I don't know. I don't know why. Anyway, so I finally picked it up and he was describing spirituality in words that made sense to me for the first time. And mm-hmm. I just, my mind was blown. I was like, whoa, this is the first time I've heard anyone talk about organized religion and spiritual concepts mm-hmm. that made sense to me. And it helped me really understand why I was never really attracted to organized religion Mm -hmm. and helped me feel better about not wanting to be put in a box. That makes sense. Absolutely. It does. It does. Um, These are incredible books and I have enjoyed everything I have read and heard from Wayne Dyer Um, just to even hear him speak. Um, is really amazing. And again, I owe my mom that she was a huge fan and she's the one that did the same thing, gave me the books and it sat around for a while. It took me well over a year to pick it up and read it. And I was so glad I did. So interesting. Um, I, so he has a podcast. I mean, he's no longer living, but Mm -hmm. um, his podcast is still up and they, they keep it fresh by, by posting different episodes and, um, and so I was listening to him when I had just, I had just read that book and I had just discovered him and mm-hmm. I wanted to know more about who is this guy. And, um, I, I just wanted to know more. So I liked the idea of listening to a podcast and I really like listening to his voice. His voice is just really kind of soothing. And yes, I think he gives good advice and uh, most of the episodes are people calling in, asking for advice on various life topics. Um, but one day I um, was opening my podcast app to see what episode I wanted to listen to next. And this audiobook was in there, just huh. out of nowhere, random. And it was another one of his books called Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life. Mm-hmm. And... I was like, oh, this is interesting. Let me listen and see what this is about. Why is this in my podcast feed? So I listened to the first chapter and they're really short chapters. They're like 10 minutes. 
and I was in the car going from point A to B. And I think my journey was like 10 minutes or something like that. Perfect timing. And it was amazing. I couldn't, I couldn't get enough of it. And so I just, Mm -hmm. every time I would get in the car to go somewhere, I would listen to another chapter. I don't even know if you would call them chapters because they're, um, they're so short, but I really, really love that book and just, Mm -hmm. and listening to him read it. So it's his interpretation of the, the Tao Te Ching, yes, which is a very old book. Um, and he kind of interprets it for modern day life. And I just found it so, I mean, anytime I was feeling stressed or worried or, um, or whatever, I would, I would find comfort in this book. Mm -hmm. Um, and it also opened me up to this idea of these ancient wisdoms that seem forgotten now. I mean, they're not forgotten by everybody, but they're just, Mm -hmm. they weren't on my radar for sure. Um, and not definitely not part of our popular culture here in America. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was another book that I really enjoyed. And you know what? I was recommending it to someone after I had listened to it and I thought, Oh, just go into the podcast and you'll see the book there. And I opened up my app and it it was gone. It just wasn't there anymore. And so (laughs) I was like, what is going on here? This book was delivered to me at just the right time. I have no explanation for how it happened. Maybe they were doing some promo or free preview or something Mm -hmm. like that. I don't know, but I happened to look at it at the exact right time. And I've since just purchased the audio book and the physical copy so I can, you know, refer back to it. I find that helpful to go. Have you ever done that? Have you reread a book and then you take something different away from it? The second time you're like, oh, I don't remember that. I like that. Absolutely. There's another one I'll throw onto our growing list. It's called the four agreements. Oh yeah. And it's, Mm -hmm. that's a good one. And it's, it's by Don Miguel Ruiz. And that is one of those books I do go back to. It's so short, um, but it's so profound. And it's really the way he describes the four tenets that one should have in life um, to experience sort of a freedom, the true happiness and the joy that we're all seeking and seems so evasive. And I do keep going back to it because it, it seems so simple and I find myself faltering sometimes. And so I need a refresh and a reread to affirm that I can stay on the path. Um, and it's actually, you know, I have about four or five books that stay on my bedside. Those are my books that I reread or I, you know, put little post-it notes for areas that speak to me. And that is one of those books that has endured and has weathered pages um, right up there with Peter's books um, and even some religious books. I mean, I think your calling will tell you when you're meant to read something. I really do. The guidance you see comes to you when you need it the most um, and not a moment before. Um, And so I do have a bit of an eclectic collection as well, um, all the way from some of the most ancient texts from India. Um, And, you know, we brought up the allegory of the cave. I actually have a copy of Plato's Republic as well from high school, but I still kept with me. Um, So I do. Did we read that in high school? Because I have no recollection. (laughs) I, well, I did only based on a project I was working on. 
it was not required reading. It was um, self-inflicted fun. <laughs> I saw through, but it's, um, yeah, no, I mean, I think these, these writings are timeless. Um, and Plato's Republic is truly his philosophy of how he believed society should function. Division of labor versus segregation um, in a class structure. Uh, the roles that every individual played in society. And within there, he writes about the allegory of the cave, which has stayed with me so profoundly from the age of 17 to today. And it's the premise that, you know, he sort of uses a dialogue between um, his son and Socrates to describe people in a cave, a dark cave, all chained, um, sitting in a row, facing the wall of the cave. Behind these people is a fire. And in between the fire and the cave people are puppeteers that hold up puppets. So all the people in the cave see are the shadows of what they're holding up. And he basically premises that that represents our perception of reality and not necessarily what is true. One person emerges, frees himself from the shackles of the cave and emerges out of the cave and is blinded by the light. Um, because he has never seen what is really out there. And he describes that person as the philosopher king, the one who seeks to be knowledgeable and seeks the truth um, and comes back down enlightened and tries to pull the people out of the cave into the light and the darkness that he emerges back into when he comes into the cave blinds him. So the people get scared and say, oh gosh, those who emerged out of the cave became blinded, so we shall stay in the cave. Um, and it was a very powerful uh, imagery for me when I read that, because it made me question my thought process and kind of back to what I said earlier in the podcast, was it a convenient belief? Or would I really put it to the test and would I challenge myself to be blinded by the proverbial light um, and seek maybe a different version of the truth that I held on yeah. to? So um, books are amazing. I don't think these authors that write them realize the impact they have on us. I think that also just really speaks to this fear of certain outcomes, mm -hmm. right? Like you have a preconceived notion of what an outcome might be and, and you are trying at all costs to avoid that. So you choose to stay in the cave in, for fear of being blinded um, and I think now is such a great time as these stru structures in our society and in our culture are really being questioned and in some cases destroyed. What will we build coming out of it? And, mm -hmm. and maybe not fear so much of what we think the outcome might be of things that are happening today and instead focus on, on what we would like to build. Um, and I think sometimes our future may hold things that are unimaginable. Oh, um, yes. you know what I mean? I like, do. like, I do. like things, I think things can just be good beyond our wildest imagination mm -hmm. and you know, letting, letting go of this idea that things have to happen in a certain order or in a certain way mm -hmm. in order to achieve a certain outcome 
that you want. And this happened, this applies to everything in life. Mm-hmm. Um, I've noticed this in my personal life, in my business life, the harder I try to, to force a specific outcome, the more difficult it is to achieve oftentimes. Indeed. And, you know, sometimes you just have to let things happen um, and release your grip a little. Exactly. Sometimes letting go um, is the best form of control. As ironic as that sounds, it's, it is definitely a lesson for all of us is to trust in the journey and knowing that sometimes the universe has greater things envisioned. Um, There was a little cartoon that someone once shared with me that I absolutely love. It's this little girl holding this little teddy bear in her hands. And I think it was a, um, it might've been a, a picture of Christ. I can't remember that much, but he's leaning down and he's saying, trust me, like, let me have your bear. And she's refusing, but behind his back, he's holding an even bigger teddy bear Uh, for her, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, and it, it just really is kind of goes to what you're saying. You know, sometimes we're so afraid to let go because we have these preconceived notions of what it should be. And we miss the opportunity of what great things the universe wants to deliver to us. Yeah. So true. Well, I hope that we both are able to experience those greater things very soon, at least. Yes. I mean, I hope, yes. I hope we all are, you know, getting to that place or, or being easier on ourselves, kinder to ourselves on this journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thank you so much for joining me today to talk about this and really opening up and sharing your life and your thoughts with, with us. Um, in the hopes that we can help someone else that might be going through something similar. Um, So thank you. Absolutely, Carla. It's been a pleasure. Um, You're such a light in the universe. And trust me when I say it does shine brightly. And for anyone listening, you know, just know that you're not alone. We're all in it together at different stages of life. And that's okay. Um, And I hope we can continue to do this. Um, so always sending love and light into the universe. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. It's been so good to reconnect and I am excited to have many more conversations. I agree, my friend. Thank you so much. All right. Talk to you Uh soon. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye.